Grace and joy to you, to all of those handsome dads in the house. Can we give the dads a big hand this morning? Yes, yes. Thank you, dads, so much for your ministry, your ministry of fatherhood. I want to give a, a, a talk with the dads this morning and let everybody else listen in, all right? All right. From Luke chapter 10, the gospel of Luke chapter 10 Our verse is there this morning. I want to talk from this very famous parable, Jesus and the lawyer, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? The subtitle, though, I'm calling is the right kind of man. The right kind of man. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for my brothers. Mm. Those of you have called Father, thank you for their ministry of leadership in a broken world. Oh, how we need them this morning to be strong, to have courage, and to be the right kind of men in a broken world. Fathers are made laughing stock of these days. Many don't see their position and their sacrifice as being very important. So today, we want to encourage our dads at RCC. We want to remind them of who they are and who you have called them to be in a fallen world. So as a family, Lord, we throw our arms around them today. We give our hearts to them today and ask a special blessing on them. Would you Lord, would you surround them with your love and grace? May they feel it this morning as they descend down this mountain, go back to serve their families. That's our prayer. May this text encourage them. Give me preaching power and preaching permission is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, or Luke said in Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37, and behold... A certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law, and what is your reading of it? And so he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered rightly. Now go and do this and you will live. But he, the lawyer, willing to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered and said to him, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, When he arrived at the place, he came, looked, and he passed by on the other side. 
But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. And so he went to him, he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. And on the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And the lawyer answered, he who showed mercy on him. And then Jesus said to him, then you go. And do likewise. Amen. In our text today, Jesus has been working hard in the community, healing people, teaching God's word, feeding the poor, changing hearts and minds about who God was and where the kingdom of God was ruling. And all of this caused him trouble. You see, at this time in our text, this is what's commonly called for Jesus as the year of opposition. Though he had people following him who loved him and who loved what he was doing, he also had what the young people call his haters. These haters were opposing him on every hand. So you see, Dad, it is possible to be doing great things. People love you, but then also you have some haters. At the time of our text today, Jesus has accompanied or has drawn the attention of these haters, and they come to him to oppose what he is teaching on the Sabbath. This one is a lawyer. He's an accomplished man, a smart man. Jesus is teaching, and all of a sudden, in the Lord's, you might say, Bible study, this lawyer stands up with a question, trying to trap Jesus. And I find that very interesting today, that sometime as a dad, sometime as a man of God, you will have people, too, try to trap you, try to bring up questions that they may think You can't answer. But I'm so glad for biblical texts like this today because Jesus, knowing the motive, knowing the opposition of this one lawyer, he stands up and he teaches what is called is a parable. Now, for those who are here, maybe this is your first time in church today, I'm so glad you're here because a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And Jesus decides to answer the sarcastic lawyer with a parable. And so today what we're going to do on this glorious Father's Day, we want to unpack three things that I think this verse is teaching to us. So let's look this morning at the certain man's problem, the certain man's paradox, and the certain man's passion. And then I'll land the plane and we will spend time at the Lord's table. Amen? Verse 30, keep your Bibles open there or your eyes on the screen for me. The Bible says, then Jesus answered him with this parable. He said, a certain man, he went down from Jerusalem to Jericho 
and he fell among thieves who stripped him or robbed him of his clothing. They wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Beloved, in the first portion of this parable, Jesus introduces us to another man who's a traveler. He's traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Now, this is important to know because this was a dangerous road. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho was known to be filled with devilish things. It was a dangerous road. Uh, Historians call it the notorious Jericho Pass. And it was notorious because thieves and robbers were known to hang out in the bushes and to hang out in the nooks and crevices to ambush people, to rob them of their resources. Secondly, what's important to know is that this this, this traveler is leaving from Jerusalem. Jerusalem was called the city of God. It was the place where commuters went to experience God. So he's leaving a place of righteousness and holiness to go down to another place, Jericho. Jericho didn't have a good reputation. Jericho was known for his nightlife. It was known for the thieves and the robbers who hung out there. Okay, here it is. It was the hood. Come on, say amen, somebody. They're traveling from the suburbs, there you go, okay, down to the hood. And it's a dangerous road. Y'all see the picture now? Now, what's interesting about this is that we don't know why this man left Jerusalem to go down to Jericho. The Bible is silent. And when the Bible is silent, I have to be silent. But what's interesting about this is that we find that on his way to Jericho, something tragic happens to him. The Bible says he fell among thieves. You see, the road to Jericho, as I mentioned, was the perfect place to rob somebody. And this certain man didn't set out to be robbed on that day. He didn't set out to become a Jericho Road statistic. He didn't set out to fall among those who would strip him, rob him, and try to take his life. No, he woke up that morning simply on a journey, not knowing what might happen to him. And when I look at this text, it gives me some good notion to use my sanctified imagination. I think I'll take some Father's Day privileges to do that. You know, when I look at this text, you and I know people who have fallen into tragedy just like that. You and I know people who've been robbed by the thieves in life. You know, Satan, the one who comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Thieves like the world and its satanic system that comes to steal, to kill, and to to destroy. Enemies like your own flesh, your fallen nature, that come to rob you and leave you half dead. We know thieves that have done people wrong. For example, you know some people today that have been robbed of their looks, robbed of their health, robbed of their self-esteem, 
robbed of their resources, their talents, their visions and their dreams, robbed of their sobriety, virginity, their common sense, their youthfulness, their heritage. They've been beat and robbed and left on the road of life to die. Why? Because life is a dangerous journey. Mm. Isn't that true about these enemies? Won't they try to strip you of what's valuable? Won't they attempt to kill you? Won't they attempt to wipe you out? They're robbers and thieves and killers. And none of us are safe on the Jericho Road. That makes me know that this man on this journey had a problem. This man on this journey had his life altered like that. This man on this journey was about to die a horrific death. He has become a Jericho statistic. Mm. He needed help. He needed protection. He needed a doctor. He needed resources. He needed a savior. This man needed justice for the injustice that had just happened to him. But none of these things could be found. This certain man is just like people you and I know in this life who have a problem that they can't solve. And my heart is wounded for this man in this story for the despicable plight he has encountered in this wicked situation. Does your heart break for people you see like this man today who've been wounded by systemic evil, who've been plagued with unrighteousness just because they were in the wrong place at the wrong time? We've looked at the man's problem, but let me show you now the man's paradox. The Bible says in verse 31, now, by chance, a certain priest or a preacher came down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, he came, looked on the man, and he passed by on the other side. Family, when we come to this second part of the parable in which Jesus is teaching, Jesus introduces us to two new characters. They're on the same road, the same journey. They've left the city of righteousness, Jerusalem, and they're traveling down to Jericho. First of all, the thing we notice about these men is that they're both professionals, See, they were men who served in the field of religion. One of them was a priest, and the other was a Levite. And guess what they have? They have power, they have position, they have privilege, they have prominence, they've got pride, but most of all I call persuasive points to move their perspectives in the crowds of others. See, they work at telling people what they ought to do with their lives. And yet here they are on the place or in the place going down to to Jericho. Now the question is, what is the preacher doing on the road to Jericho? What is the Levite doing 
on the road to Jericho. I don't know why they were going, perhaps maybe to let their hair down. You know, it is true what happens in Vegas, come on commercial, stays in Vegas. Secondly, the paradox of this passage is this. They had a professional career of serving people and saving people who were hurting. In other words, they both worked for God and they worked to bandage up the wounds of the soul from the vices of sin. Yet when they get alone on the dangerous road of life, they refuse to use their professional credentials and get involved with the brokenness of humanity. The first man, the priest, he comes on the scene of the crime family. He's alone. He's able to make a difference because he is aware of the law of God. He's aware of what God tells him to do. Yet instead, because he thinks no one is looking, he does what the priest should never do. He abandoned somebody who was wounded on the side of the road of life. Here it is. The preacher was derelict in his calling to help somebody who was dying. This preacher was derelict in his ministry to minister to the one who needed ministry. The preacher was derelict to serve the one whom evil people had harmed and left him to die. The preacher could have done something. He could have been neighborly. He could have got involved like the law of God commanded him to. But instead, he kept silent. No sermon right here. Preacher saw the man, but he wouldn't help him. The preacher saw him, but he wouldn't get involved. The preacher saw him, but didn't think that his life mattered. The preacher was willing to let him die on the road to Jericho. When I look at this text, beloved, I see a parallel to the crisis of our great churches today. Too many people have been robbed outside of our churches. Too many people have been victimized, mistreated by systems that oppress them, by thieves that have abused them, by, by leaving them on the unjust road of life without support, and preachers just pass them by. I'm a preacher. I think I'm qualified to talk to us today. And I can't see how people say that they love God and see humanity's plight and then step over them on their way to take care of their own business. I'm troubled today. I'm troubled today because millions are dying in agony, dying alone, dying in unbelieving circumstances, are dying a victim at the hands of the evil one who has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. How is it possible to preach comfortable sermons in wicked days where people are bum-rushing into a burning hell for all of eternity? If I'm called to preach in this generation, I better I have a burden. I'm hunting for a witness right there. This text is alarming to me. It's alarming to me how this priest could have done that. How this priest could have walked away at this horrific time in the life of this would-be follower. When I look at the text, 
and I removes what's happening in it. That was horrible enough. But then another man comes on the scene. He's a Levite. He would have been called a teacher in that day of God's word. He studied the law of God and taught it in the temple to the people of God. And here's the paradox. He too is on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, when he comes upon the man in this scene, he does a little more than the preacher does. He walks over and he looks at the victim. Can I turn the light on right here? I was asking myself a question in my study. Now, why did he go look? And then I thought about something. Maybe he just wanted to check and see if this perhaps was one of his students of the Torah. And just to be sure that he wasn't, he looked on him. That's interesting, right? He came to see if he knew him. He came to see if they perhaps were connected. But he could have done something, and he didn't. He could have been neighborly, like the law of God said, but he didn't. He kept silent. He examined him, but kept silent. He examined him, but wouldn't open his mouth or extend his hand. He examined him, but wouldn't get involved. He didn't want to be neighborly. He saw his humanity and what others had done to him, but he was not willing to help him as he lay there dying. On the Jericho Road. I got a problem this morning with this paradox. I got a problem because people who say they work for God or that they know God ought to be willing to help you if your life had been destroyed by satanic thieves and robbers. They ought not leave you lying there on the road ready to die. People who are God-fearing and who teach the words of God ought to be the first ones who are willing to be your neighbor in the face of persecution and suffering. Dads, what a horrible thing to do to people. Say you've been endowed with gospel resources and training and calling and professional credentials. You ought to be the first line of defense. For people who are dying in your neighborhood, dying in your family, dying on your jobs. We ought to be the first responders to the victims who have fallen tragic on the Jericho Road. We ought not be so quick to get our business done in Jericho that you can't stop and help somebody who's been attacked, ambushed, robbed, violated, victimized by thieves who've come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Here's what I discovered. You know what the, both of these men did? They forgot. You say, forgot what, Pastor. It could have been them in this situation. They were on the same Jericho robe. Oh, yes, they were. These two men forgot that the same misfortune that happened to this man could also happen to them. Just because they were professionals did not keep them from being attacked by the enemies of their souls. They forgot they were just as vulnerable 
Just because they claim to work for God and have credentials does not mean you will not get attacked by the enemy of this world. It didn't mean that the same criminals who hurt this man will not hurt them. Well, we've looked at the certain man's problem and we've looked at the certain man's paradox. Let me land the plane now and show you the certain man's passion. Notice the different men in this text. In verse 33, the Bible says, but starts with a conjunction. I love it when God's word does that. It's getting ready to take you in a new direction. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came where he was. And when he saw the man, the Bible says he had compassion. Beloved, he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the next day, when he departed, he took out some money, two denarii, and gave to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come, I'll take care of the bill. I'll repay you. Beloved, thank you for listening today. When we come to the final portion of this parable, Jesus introduces us to the right kind of man. He's a man with compassion. He's a Samaritan, a non-Jewish individual. When he was on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho, he displayed his love and compassion for a total stranger. This man is the right kind of neighbor. This beloved is the right kind of man for society. He's the kind of brother who can be inconvenienced if you're broken in life. Oh God, help me preach it all. This is the right kind of man who will step in and see another brother who is wounded on the road of life. And yet stop what he's doing. Stop the journey in the place he's going and get involved with somebody who's dying on the road of life. Here's the question, brothers. What kind of man are you? Can you be inconvenienced? Can you reach out and cross the railroad tracks? Can you reach somebody who doesn't look like you, who is wounded and broken and left to die from systemic evil on the road of life? This man models for us what it looks like to be that guy. He could see suffering when he came upon it. He could stop what he was doing and help somebody else. He didn't have the credentials or the calling, but guess what he had? The heart of God, the compassion of God to help in spite of not knowing their full story. You don't see him stop and interview the man. Now tell me, how did you get here? Didn't you see them? He didn't interview the victim. He just got involved. He's the right kind of man. Here it is. He could get involved even though he didn't experience the robbery himself. He could get involved because he cared. 
He could get involved because he understood that the suffering at the hands of others was wrong for any culture and any people at any place and at any time. He he didn't take a look and keep going like the Levite or, or the preacher. He didn't see it but keep silent like the Levite and the preacher. He stepped up and he stepped in and gave a hand in the injustice that was done to his neighbor. And then this brother, this blew me away. He takes his own resources and he attempts to heal the wounds of the stranger who's on the road about to die. The Bible says he gave him some wine. And I like to think he did this to take the edge off of his pain. Not only did he give him some wine, but he wanted to comfort him while he poured oil into the wounds that were needed to be healed. It's interesting here because biblically, oil and wine were used for medicinal purposes. And both of these uh, resources were used to help to recover a life that was almost destroyed and gone. The text is beautiful because he bandaged him. He ministered to him. He cared for him. He looked after him. Watch this now. This really got me here. Right in the place of the crime. He did it right there where it happened. Secondly, he picks him up and carries him to the town. The Bible says put him on his own animal or threw him in his own SUV. He didn't wait for somebody else to come along to minister him. He used everything he had at his disposal to minister this one who was in trouble. And then when he gets to the town, he pays the Marriott fee, puts him in the hotel, spends his own money, takes care of him again, and then says to the clerk, when I come back, if he needs more things, I'll take care of the bill when I get back. This guy was all in. He's the right kind of guy. He's the right kind of guy. He's the kind of guy that was neighborly. Lastly, after he does this, this last part jumped out to me, and I promise you, I preached this text about 50 different times. I never saw this. When he pays this innkeeper, he then commissions him to continue what he started. He commissions him to join him in ministry by caring for those who can't care for themselves. Now, I know y'all saw that. I didn't saw it. I'm a little late to the party, but I jumped out of my seat when I saw this. You know why? You know why I did that? Because he becomes a type of Christ. I'm through preaching. I'm coming down now. But guess what Jesus did? He came down from heaven the new Jerusalem, got on an old dangerous road coming to earth to save those who were wounded and half dead on the road of life. Took everything he had, gave of himself 
to save, to rescue, to redeem the ones who nobody else could save. Jesus goes to Calvary one Friday, dies on an old rugged cross for your sins, pays our debt in full, is buried in a borrowed tomb and raised back to life. And then before he goes back to be at the right hand of the Father, he commissions us now. Take care of them. Make disciples. And when I return, I'm going to compensate you for what you've done. Fathers, thank you for your ministry. Continue whatever you do to be the right kind of dad. Make sure you're looking like Jesus. Make sure you model for your queens, your princesses, and your princes how to live for God in a fallen world by being neighborly. Remember, it's caught and it's taught. If you model it, your sons will model it. If you model it, your daughters will model it. I'm through. I remember when our son Alex, the preacher now, was just a little guy, used to play this game, follow the leader. I had a lawnmower. And I used to push my lawnmower, and Sharon bought Alex a little play lawnmower. And when Dad would be out in the yard pushing, he'd be right there with his little lawnmower pushing. I turn, he turn. I stop and sweat, he stop and sweat. <laughs> what was he doing? He was modeling service to the family. You know what he's doing now? Preaching the gospel. To thousands of people. I didn't call him to do that. But it was caught. And it was taught. Dads, what you do matter. Don't let the world water down your status. Don't let the media get in your minds and tell you you don't matter. You matter to God, and you matter in the context of the local church. What you do, we're going to follow. And Jesus says, when I come again, I'm going to reward you. And all God's people said, amen. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Our Father and our God, oh, how good it is to be in the presence of brothers who love you who model what it means to love you, to follow you, to obey you, and to serve you. My prayer is that you would keep them encouraged today. Lord, don't allow for the world to rob their joy of fatherhood. Don't allow for the world to keep uh, uh, reminding them or firing at them that they're useless, they don't, they don't matter. Lord, remind them today about who they are in Christ and what it means to be the spiritual servant in their homes, the sacrificial leader to lay down their lives for their brides, for their children. Help them to have the joy that they need in living for you. Help us to be the right kind of man who will give up our resources to care for those who have been wounded, who've been left to die on the road of life. 
then I pray for our queens, I pray for our children, that we would continuously live to encourage dad to pray for him, to strengthen him. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Thank God. Amen.